Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. I'm Sasha Coca. It's the California Report magazine. This time of year, the sky gets so dark and the days so short and cold for California. And then there's holiday stress and the looming threat of Omicron. So we thought we'd take a pause and bring you a show with some joy some spinning planets. I don't know much about the stars, but I imagine that macrocosm is sort of like the microcosm within my body. There's just like this divine order to things. And small town holiday celebrations. It's really like to bring joy to the people because of COVID and all the lives that were lost. We just want to bring happiness to like, or with our dances. And beloved musicians. I can't even begin to like tell you how it makes me feel. Like I could close my eyes, my eyes and I could picture like all the memories I have with my grandfather. To help us remember just how glorious and magical our state really is. We're gonna start in my hometown of Los Angeles, which is a buzzing endless grid of bright lights, concrete and freeways. But we're headed to a place with pine trees and coyotes, high above the humdrum existence of most L.A. mortals, somewhere where you can actually see the stars and planets in the dark winter sky. It's called the Mount Wilson Observatory. And for more than a century, it's been a kind of gateway to the heavens. Here's how a newsreel described it back in 1930. 6,000 feet up with Mount Wilson Observatory below, the scientific eye of America. Great changes are occurring throughout the universe. The observatory's 100-inch telescope... Inside two white domes, you'll find a pair of aging but still mighty telescopes. And they're pretty important in the history of astronomy. All these superstars of astroscience like Edwin Hubble, George Ellery Hale, and Albert Einstein himself have looked through these telescopes. And you can too, for a price. You can rent them for the whole night. It's not cheap but it does come with free snacks and an astronomer to guide your trip through the astonishing wonders of the dark and endless sky. Reporter Peter Gilstrap made the sundown trip up Angeles Crest Highway to see what happens on Mount Wilson when the stars come out. That's the 100-ton dome turning to accommodate the view of the 60-inch telescope, a move it's been making since things began here so long ago. In 1908, it was the largest telescope in the world. That's telescope operator Tom Mason. He's one of a devoted cadre of amateur astronomers and retired engineers who keep things going atop Mount Wilson. He's been volunteering at the observatory for 17 years. It was the first telescope placed on a mountain this size. It was the first real enactment of the mirror-reflecting type telescope. So you have a lot of history here. The telescope itself is an industrial latticework of tubular steel angled toward a crack in the dome like a cannon. 
It's about the size of a crouching Tyrannosaurus Rex, and it's painted baby blue. The tube got here 113 years ago on the back of a truck that barely made it up the winding dirt road from Pasadena. The unbelievably delicate 60-inch mirror that's the reflecting heart of the telescope arrived by a team of pack mules. Since the machine opened its enormous eye on the skies, it's lived to become the granddaddy of virtually every modern scope in existence. And while down below, Los Angeles constantly grows and mutates upon itself, demolishing and building again and again, year after year, up on Mount Wilson, things barely change. Now, do we have the technology to hook this up to a computer and guide it? Yes. Mount Wilson is not willing to trust this to a computer, and that's why we still operate it by hand. They don't trust it to a computer. It's a notion that's absolutely breathtaking. And don't even think about cell reception up here. You can look down the eyepiece at an ancient long-dead star still beaming its ghost light toward Earth, but you can't text anyone about it. The telescope and the whole tower itself obey the slightest touch of the control buttons. At the top, another astronomer gets ready to photograph the heavens. To the scientists, the quarrels and worlds of this small Earth must seem mighty petty as he penetrates celestial mysteries such as these. Many of those celestial mysteries were solved at the observatory. Scientist Harlow Shapley worked at Mount Wilson from 1914 to 1921. He used the telescopes to determine the size of the Milky Way galaxy. Yes, the size of the galaxy. This guy you've never heard of did that. He also found that Earth was not the center of that galaxy. So what did that do? That moved us off out here off one of the arms of the galaxy. Great discovery right here with the 60-inch uh, telescope. Yeah. And a blow to the ego of uh, those who thought we were you know, <laughs> yeah. running the yeah. show. Yes, well, I, uh, our ego has been blown a couple times up here because we thought we were the only galaxy there. And then the Hubble came along and discovered that, yes, there is another galaxy out there. And now we're in the billions of galaxies type thing. Does it make you feel very, very tiny when you think about that? Uh, yes, it does because of how big this is. But also, uh, as a Christian, it also brings my attention to something. The scripture says, O Lord, O Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him compared to this great universe you made? And this little dust spot, the earth, and then I'm a dust spot on that earth. Astronomy loves darkness. And by the late 1990s, Los Angeles had become ground zero for light pollution. As scientific research was moving from Mount Wilson to low-wattage places like Chile, the decision was made to open the facility to the public. This rare opportunity has drawn all kinds of people up the mountain. Sunshine Day came from Long Beach with an open mind and no real idea of what she would experience. A friend gave her a ticket. Now, as she steps away from gazing through the telescope, she looks stunned even above her mask. This is my very first time here. So tell me what, what just happened. Wow, um, I'm looking at these, what appears to be like dots, but they're actually the planets. And as I fine tune the, the eyepiece, I can actually see how different the, the two planets are. It, it's amazing to be able to see that far. It's gotta be hundreds of miles. It's, oh yeah, at least. <laughs> So, looking through this mountaintop window into the distant reaches of space, what does she think about? 
I think about what's happening out there in the sky is actually also happening inside of me, like all my cells and capillaries, my organs, how things are just kind of orbiting and rotating, how my lungs fill with air. And, you know, that, that there's just like this divine order to things. And um, I don't know much about the stars and those planets and what's out there, but I imagine that that macrocosm is sort of like the microcosm within my body, you know? I don't know. I just, <laughs> those are the things that I get to think about when I come to places like this. Like having it to, to rent out and just to be able to come and see this is absolutely awesome. And so the night goes on. And once again, the howling aria from the aging gears begins as the dome and the telescope slowly turn to chase the shifting stars and galaxies across the sky. And once again, these humble people of Earth, with their coffee and their fascination, wait to approach the telescope, look in, and see the next strange and beautiful wonder. For the California Report, I'm Peter Gilstrap on Mount Wilson. Every December, Catholic Latinos across the state commemorate Las Posadas, the journey of Joseph and Mary as they searched for refuge and a safe place for her to give birth to the baby Jesus. For people of Mexican descent, the tradition honors the appearance of La Virgen de Guadalupe to an indigenous man named Juan Diego back in 1531. That celebration was especially important this year for a farm worker community of about 8,000 people that's really struggled during the pandemic. KVPR's Madi Bolaños brings us this story from Fireba in Fresno County. A float decorated with photos of the Virgen de Guadalupe winds from the church through neighborhoods of tiny pastel houses and passes the local park, followed by a procession of about 200 people. ¡Que viva la Virgen! ¡Que viva la Virgen! That's 64-year-old Evelia Garcia leading the chant at the head of the procession. She's a petite woman who at first seems shy and soft-spoken. She's wearing a red dress with an embroidered image of the Virgen de Guadalupe on the front. Twenty women and their daughters have on the same outfit. They're a part of the dance group from St. Joseph's Catholic Church here in Fireball. Because of the pandemic, they weren't able to perform in 2020. The beloved celebration was canceled last year. COVID hit farmworking towns like Fireball especially hard. Farm workers couldn't afford to stay home, and the Central Valley continues to have some of the highest case rates in the state. Father Rayana Pudota says after a year of immense loss, his parishioners were really excited about reviving the celebration of Las Posadas. People, you know, they have faith and they are longing because uh, for some time they missed this Eucharist in person coming in participation, you know. That's especially true for Evelia. She's originally from Tequila, Jalisco in Mexico. She says she grew up reciting the rosary every night with her siblings. Years later, she moved to a remote part of Fresno County with her husband. He worked in the fields, and she worked at the local tomato processing facility. 
She says it was important for her to continue practicing her faith. They lived in a rural area, she says, so they couldn't participate in church events. Over time, Garcia and her husband saved up enough money to buy a car. That's when, Garcia says, she started attending group prayers at St. Joseph's. She loved it and started going to church seven days a week for nearly 40 years. Then, in December 2019, her husband died of colon cancer. Three months later, COVID hit. Garcia says the beginning of the pandemic was the loneliest time of her life. She got sick of being indoors and with the churches closed, she says. It felt like she was dying and her soul was dying too. That changed when a friend from church brought communion bread to her doorstep. She says the depressive feeling left her. Everything she was feeling disappeared and from then on she felt happier. She began praying again and helping the church in any way she could. She also joined the choir and started teaching Aztec dances for the Virgen de Guadalupe celebration. She learned some dances as a kid from her dad, she says, and the others she found online. She and her sisters would practice together and teach other dancers. Garcia's sister Marta says dancing is in their blood. Her dad taught dance, she says. Her brothers dance, she and her sister dance. They came to do their part. It's not just the Garcia sisters. This tradition has brought a lot of families from Fireball together. Farm worker Maria Dolores Ramirez Martinez dances with her two daughters, who are 15 and 4. They've got feathers on their headdresses, and they wear ayoyotes, or anklets festooned with hard shells, that shake and clink with every step. She says she felt grateful to be able to dance again because last year they couldn't do it. Everyone was stuck inside, afraid to let their kids out until now, when they can celebrate again. Her oldest daughter, Arcelia Fuerte, agrees. It's like, really like to bring joy to the people because of COVID and all the lives that were lost. And since we just want to bring happiness to them to like, or with our dances. Some residents of the small community set up chairs on their lawns to watch the procession. Others hold their phones up to capture the moment. This is the first time since the start of the pandemic they've been able to celebrate their faith together and feel hopeful for the future. For the California Report, I'm Adi Bolaños in Fireball. Throughout this pandemic, it's been so exhausting to constantly negotiate risk. Some of us worrying about the people we love getting sick. That's Sonoma County songwriter Sean Hayes. He's been singing the blues for 30 years, and he's got a new album out called Be Like Water. But the songs on it were written years before the coronavirus hit. He put the songs in a drawer and let them hibernate. And then late last year, he re-recorded them as he started thinking about the importance of healing, of accepting things as they are, and moving forward. 
all the books said it said be like water said be like water be like water the title track comes from the i ching it's a book of divination an old chinese book of, and my role was uh, to be like water to follow the path of least resistance the California Report's April Demboski visited Sean Hayes at his studio in Petaluma, where he talked about his creative process and his sources of inspiration, from ancient texts to pioneering black musicians. Get up, get up to get down, get up to get down. I started playing that uh, James Brown tune, Sex Machine. So actually, the song Water is a merger of James Brown and the I Ching. You gotta get up, get up to get down, gotta get up, which is water as well, because water is constantly recycling, right? It's pulled up and then it comes down, pulls up and comes down. It's just kind of reminding yourself not to hold on too tightly, to, to let people help you. <laughs> Let, let the world help you. You can really draw direct lines from different blues artists and things that I can point to exactly how it influenced the songs on Be Like Water. Little Walter, blues harmonica player from the 50s. There is a literal line. Shake, shake here, shake, shake there. Shake, shake everywhere, mellow down easy. You shake, shake here, you shake, shake there. You shake, shake, shake everywhere, then you mellow down easy. I have a, a propensity to get ahead of myself and catastrophize is the word I learned recently. <laughs> like think about all the worst possible outcomes. There's a song in there called Tomorrow Tonight. I'll have to beg, steal, and borrow. And that song is all about the anxiety of Bay Area real estate. <laughs> no, not hard so we were renting, we have two kids, and then we had to move when we first got to Petaluma. And really, it starts to get stressful. It's just really, a lot of it's about like getting myself back to the moment and not getting really far out. Let's forget about tomorrow, tonight. So let's see, what guitar-wise, I should maybe do this acoustic guy. Here's one of the secrets to my writing. The song usually will start in a very emotional place for me, inside. And it'll just be me playing the guitar. 
Walking around with the same song on Banging around the box of your mind so the first two parts of the song are dealing with those emotions. The second two parts are actually what's going on in the moment of me writing the song. And it's a fun kind of technique that I'll do sometimes if, I've, if I'm writing to just stop and stop being inside and to start describing what's actually around me. So I'm um, pomegranate, tangerine, and the fruit bowls, honey bear, you know the honey bears, wildflower, Kitchen window on a quiet street, watching the day go, the day go by, call it out, get it out, call it out, boom. I can feel this now, because I've gotten it out. I can hear it straight, I can feel this now, it feels good, it feels good to be rid of this way. Because the thing is, when you're trying to create, too, those moments, they bother you. And so it's like, you, you got to deal with those moments. Because they keep coming back and saying, hello, still need to talk about this. Carrying weight, invisible weight. Carrying weight, invisible weight. That was Petaluma musician Sean Hayes. His story was produced by the California Report's April Demboski. And finally today, mourning the loss of a musician who's been compared to Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley, Mexico's king of mariachi, Vicente Fernandez. He's got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and he's known as Chente to his fans. He passed away December 12th. Yo sé bien que estoy afuera, pero el día que yo me muera, sé que tendrás que llorar. Back in 2007, Vicente Fernandez released a new bilingual box set and came to the Golden State on his biggest U.S. tour to date. And back then, the California Report's senior editor, Victoria Mauleon, brought us a story about the impact he had on his fans on this side of the border. She talked to some of them at a record store in Stockton. Es el rey de la música ranchera. Para mí representa lo mexicano. Puro mexicano. The king of ranchera, pure Mexican. Maria Ramirez grew up listening to Fernandez in her home state of Guanajuato, Mexico. You can see in his songs and in the message he gives that he's so romantic, so Mexican. And for Salvador Suarez, who arrived here from the Mexican state of Jalisco three years ago, it takes just a few seconds to recognize the tune blaring from every speaker. Suarez explains the plot of La Tragedia del Vaquero, the tragedy of the cowboy, which describes a gruesome accidental killing. These songs called rancheras are considered Mexico's heartland music, backed by mariachi ensembles playing lavish arrangements, heavily swathed in strings. And Vicente Fernandez's operatic voice soars above, romanticizing the torture and splendor of rural life. Por la distancia, muy poco lo visitaba. The song that really catapulted the singer into stardom in the 1970s is Volver, Volver, or Return, Return. It broke sales records in North and South America, and he once said he hoped his fans around the world would sing it when he died. 
Here's Victoria with an excerpt from that 2007 story again. On the surface, it's a song about yearning for a lover. But, says LA Times arts writer Agustin Gursa, it resonated with his fans across the border for another reason. It really appealed to the Mexican immigrant here in California because they, it has elements of nostalgia in the song. And you could interpret it as, I'm going to go back to Mexico. And it's sort of this longing and yearning for the homeland. Gursa says fans also connect with Fernandez's own rags-to-riches story. Before he became a megastar, he struggled to survive, taking a series of odd jobs from dishwasher to shoeshine boy. But despite Fernandez's 50 million records, dozens of starring film roles, and a vast personal fortune, his fans perceive him as one of their own. And on stage, Fernandez is known for giving his fans his all. In his three-hour marathon performances fueled by cognac and cigarettes, the artist tells the crowd he won't stop singing until they stop clapping. With his gigantic cowboy hat, jet black mustache, and gleaming charro outfit, he projects the image of a powerful, passionate, and fearless Mexican man. That's his... uh Uh, image. And that's why people love him, because he appeals to people that are basically a lot of people that come here as immigrants, very powerless, with uh, with almost no ability to fight back in terms of their workplace or against uh, immigration laws and that sort of thing. And now with a new bilingual box set called The Living Legend, Fernandez is trying to extend that appeal to English speaking and younger audiences. 19-year-old Priscilla Gomez is a student at Fresno City College. Hearing his music always reminds her of her grandfather. I, can, I can't even begin to like, tell you how it makes me feel. Like I could close my eyes, my eyes and I could picture like, all the memories I have with my grandfather. I'll, I'll remember my grandfather just standing right there in front of me and I was like five, you know? Ray Cisneros is also a student here. Hearing Vicente Fernandez conjures up vivid childhood memories for him as well. There's a soundtrack in my mind that I can like close my eyes and sit back and I could just see the scene <laughs> playing along with eating the carne asada and then hearing the music in the background and my aunt's laughing about this and that. His music is definitely the background. Although Cisneros doesn't speak Spanish, the music and films of Vicente Fernandez have taught him about his family's roots. It makes us feel proud and that's a good feeling. Fernandez celebrates that pride in songs like Como Mexico No Hay Dos, like Mexico, There's No Other, a song he chose to highlight on his new box set. In it, he praises California's beauty, glamorous celebrities, and fine wines, but prefers the tequila of his homeland. And just as there's only one Mexico, there's only one Vicente Fernandez. That's an excerpt of a story from the California Report's senior editor, Victoria Mauleon, from back in 2007, when Vicente Fernandez did a major tour of California. Gente en paz descanse.
The California Report magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our producer-director is Susie Racho. Our audio engineer this week is Seal Muller. Our team also includes Alex Gonzalez, Lisa Morehouse, Brendan Willard, Amanda Font, and MJ Johnson. I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest.